so good to be together. And there's some of you that uh, I met before church that I've never met before. Others that, uh, that I haven't seen for a long time. It's just, ah, it's just so great to see you. And those of you that feel like you're here all the time, great to see you too. And I, and I mean that. I really do. Here we go. Fall 2022. What? Exciting. First Peter series as we dive into God's word. We're going to do the Bible memory thing again that uh, was suggested some time ago in our staff meetings uh, by uh, a couple of our young pastors. And uh, this is the passage. First Peter 1, 3 to 5, over the next several weeks, I want you to just dig in and memorize this. You can do it. If you're old like me, let's encourage one another. We can do it, this memory thing. And this is the passage we're going to memorize. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's work on verse three together. Say it, read it out loud with me. Just verse three says, praise be to the God. Let's do it again. Come on. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's do it again with some words left out. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A little more, a couple more words left out. Let's do it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Work on this at home, work on the other passages, and it's so important to take God's word into our hearts, as Psalm 119 verse 11 reminds us to do. Let's pray. Father, open your word to our hearts today, we humbly ask. And, and God, open our hearts and our minds to your powerful word, we pray. Amen. I'm going to be talking fast. Peter, the writer of this letter, was one of the original disciples of Jesus. Jesus had called him from, as many of you know, from an occupation of fishing to follow him and become fishers of men, as Jesus put it. Fishing for people who need to follow Jesus, who Jesus wants in his family. In the Gospels, Peter often appears to be a spokesman for the disciples, or at least he was often the first to speak, uh, many times rather impetuously. He, he was just kind of wired that way. Uh, Peter means rock, rock, but it, it doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like he was much of a rock, especially when we think of that situation where he denied even knowing Jesus three times just before Jesus was going to the crucifixion. Rock? <laughs> ah. But then, Peter, after Jesus went back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within believers and followers of Christ and empower them, Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. Huh, he's the one. 
that preached the gospel out on the streets in Jerusalem and declared the powerful message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that day, many of you know the story in Acts 2, 3,000, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. Well, several, several decades later here, Peter writes this letter to encourage Christ followers who are facing persecution from the Roman emperor Nero. Peter wants them to see that their temporary sufferings he wants, to see, he wants them to see those temporary sufferings in light of the eternal glory that they will experience. He wants them to know that they can persevere, that they can make it through all the difficulty they're facing. And my friends, God had Peter write this message for you as you face many difficulties in life and many times they just don't make sense, it seems. In this letter, Peter communicates a strong expectation of the second coming of Christ. As in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, where Peter reminds these, these persecuted Christians to continue to hope because the grace of God will be experienced, he says, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And my friends, he is coming back. We must be ready. Peter intends that the promise of the second coming of Christ will bring believers hope as they live for Christ in a very broken and, and a hostile world. The situation that precipitated the writing of this letter was shortly after the great fire of Rome in A.D. 64. The general population of Rome came to believe that it was Nero, actually, who, who, who started the fire which destroyed uh, about two-thirds of their city. Uh, some historians don't actually blame Nero for the fire, but whatever the case, uh, still the resentment of the people became so strong toward Nero over, over this that he had to divert suspicion from himself and he found a scapegoat. Christians. According to ancient history, Nero had his own mother killed, so it was nothing for him to, you know, to, to, to stir up this, unleash this campaign of persecution upon Christians in an effort to convince everyone that it was those people who caused this terrible destruction in their city. Most, most of Paul's letters, who wrote approximately half of the New Testament, most of his letters were directed, as many of you know, to specific cities to address doctrinal error, to correct wrong thinking about a lot of things. But Peter's letter, this letter, was simply to strengthen, encourage Christ followers who were being persecuted and facing many trials. And so these next several weeks, I believe we're going to be enriched by this study of First Peter. And I, as your pastor, I really encourage you to connect in to a small group these weeks. The, the First Peter video teaching of Kyle Eidelman that we're going to use in those studies just is so good. It's so good. Uh, and, and maybe for you, just the time commitment seems overwhelming right now. I, I encourage you still to take that step, and God will help in that regard. I, I believe that. And it'll be well worth your time, I'm, I'm convinced. There's just... Uh, there's just so much in this letter. As a, matter of, as a matter of fact, each week, you'll know we won't get through, really through, uh, each uh, section, the whole chapter today. Really? Come on. Um, but, uh, but hopefully it encourages you, inspires you to go home and spend some time in your own study 
of uh, verses or things you hear, things we read together, because we're going to read every passage every Sunday, uh, each of the passages fully, and uh, you might see something that intrigues you. Uh, dig in. Dig in. And if you help, need help with that, Pastor Joel or myself or other pastors willing to, willing to help in that regard. But today we're going to just kind of fly over 1 Peter chapter 1, touching on just a few of Peter's comments. And in your small group this week, you may unpack those comments a little further, or you may well uh, discuss some of the other points in this chapter. Verse 1 2, read with me. Not out loud, but I'll read because I've got only the... Uh, oh, no, I, do, I think I do have that on the screen. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, Northern Asia Minor, the modern day Turkey. I'll say Turkey again without the squeak. Turkey. <coughs> uh, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And I can see already. <coughs> Going to have to speak a little softer. For some reason, I'm having a weak voice today. Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle just means sent one. And Jesus did send Peter in his gospel mission, which reminds, needs to remind us of God's gracious character and, and patience, and for us as well, right? Peter uses this phrase, God's elect, in verse 1, referring to Christ followers. And for you uh, theologians, uh, I apologize, we don't have time to get into the, the election uh, discussion, which is a, a challenging doctrinal discussion related to finding theological balance between God's sovereignty and the, this thing we call free will that, that God has given us. Those, those ideas can be tough to reconcile, and it's a, well, it's a debate that's gone on for centuries and probably won't be settled until we get to heaven. Uh, but the term God's elect, suffice to say, for now, was intended to encourage these believers in their trouble. Most of the Christ followers being addressed in this letter were, um, were, were likely Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, uh, who had come to, to Christ. And Peter was reminding them that God actually chose them, just as he had chosen his special people, uh, the Jewish nation. And, and that's just an encouraging thought. And that applies to any and all of us in the world today. In verse 1, Peter addresses the believers as exiles because they, they'd been scattered uh, and, and displaced due to persecution. The New King James uses the word pilgrims, which is a reference to people who, who don't have a home and, and don't put down or can't put down roots. And in this case, they couldn't because... Again, persecution was right on their heels. Yes, they were pilgrims without a home in this world, but only for a time. Because Peter was reminding them that they were, they were citizens, as any of us who, who follow Christ are, citizens of heaven. So their true home was there with God, and Jesus would return at some point to take them there. That kept them going. In, in victory. They, they, they knew they were not defeated by Nero. They, they knew that as citizens of heaven, they could fully trust God and live with a deep sense of God's... The last part of that, verse 2, says, 
with God's grace and peace in abundance. How many of us need that to live our lives in this, in this broken world, hey? We do. Verses 3 and 9. And I don't have the uh, whole text on the screen today, just the references. So listen fast, listen well. I'll read it. Verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, Potent words, rich, lots there. Peter's describing the awesome reality of a, what it means to be a Christ follower, even, even for those who are, are suffering because they are Christ followers. And there's many in the world today where that is the case. And we must never forget to lift up the persecuted church in our world. Peter wants to encourage them by reminding them that because Jesus rose from the dead by God's power, we become the recipients of four awesome realities. Really quickly, first, his great mercy. Huh, mercy. The expression of God's love whereby I don't receive what I do deserve. Little shift from the definition of grace, receiving what I don't deserve. But in mercy, I, I don't receive what I do deserve. And God's mercy is primarily shown to us in that we are not crushed under the, 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 the just punishment for our sin because Jesus took that punishment on himself as our substitute, the cross. Shouldn't that alone warrant surrendering your life to him if you haven't already? Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus allows us to experience the new birth that, that term is incredibly significant. Jesus referred to this idea in John chapter 3, many of you know, is talking to a religious leader, Nicodemus, who had an intellectual knowledge about God, but no genuine relationship with God. Did you know that's possible? It's very possible. And as Jesus put it to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. It doesn't matter how much you know. It's important to know, intellectually, of course, but, but you must be born again. In other words, we were, we were born once physically, but it's this new birth that ensures our place. Spiritual new birth, inward transformation, new life in here that ensures our place in God's eternal family. Thirdly, living hope. And this hope is very much alive. And God supernaturally deposits his hope in our hearts when otherwise we'd be crushed by a sense of hopelessness in this challenging, painful, difficult life that it is sometimes. 
because of who he is in his character, we can be filled with this, his unshakable hope. What a gift. And I love Psalm 43, 5 on this. Some of you need to latch on to this verse maybe as well. Why? The, the, the writer in the Psalms is talking to himself. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. It's like he's like, come on, Mark. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to say that to yourself. Psalm 43, 5. Take it and run with it. Fourthly, is the inheritance that Peter refers to in verse 4. I'm going to conclude this message in a few minutes with a story about inheritance, so I'm not going to say any more about that now. I I do want to take note of verse 6, though, in this passage, in this paragraph. I I think most of us don't like the sound of this, though. And what did Peter say there? Greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But rejoice. Huh. Is that even possible? It's hard. But it's possible to experience joy and suffering at the same time. Joy and pain. Joy and difficulty. Joy and things that seem unfair. And you can't figure out. Peter, God, through Peter, is saying, yes, it's possible to still have that joy. Yes, it is possible. In, 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 in light of our understanding that our trials are just for a time, and yet they serve also a great purpose of growing Christ-like character in us. Read James chapter 1 on that, of course, as well. Suffering and joy can coexist in our hearts and lives. It's not easy, but it's more than possible. And it's, as a matter of fact, it's God's desire for us. Joy comes out of trust, too which sometimes is the start of the, tra- of the challenge, right? For, for all of us, myself included. Now, you need to understand that this passage is not saying that it's God who's putting trials on his people, although I believe in some cases that can, that can be the case. But, but rather, this passage is saying that out of the trials that we experience in a broken world, that we, we, all, we all experience that out of the, the trials can come a depth of faith that cannot be experienced actually in any other way than by walking through trials in a posture of trust in God's good character. Knowing you're, knowing still that you're under his protection and care and grace. Notwithstanding the difficulty of the challenge. Also want to comment on verse 8 where Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Applies to all of us, right? Though you have not seen him, you love, you really love him. We know that Peter had physically seen Jesus. He had walked with Jesus, done life together for those few years before Jesus' resurrection. Peter saw saw Jesus after his resurrection. Peter saw Jesus physically. But the people he's writing to became Christ followers after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And and yet they still very much knew Jesus. And they very much loved Jesus. And they very much experienced the joy that comes with knowing and loving him. As many of as many of as you do as well. Why? Because, because, Because their spiritual eyes were open. Didn't see him physically, but their spiritual eyes were supernaturally open. And they came to know and love Jesus as much as Peter 
who had seen him physically years before. It's a cool thought. Next paragraph, Peter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed, verse 12, to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told by uh, told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things. So talking about the, the, the prophets speaking prophetically about the coming of Jesus and Jesus coming and the difference it makes in our lives eternally and then it ends. Well, I, I, I want to highlight in this paragraph just one thing quickly. The, the phrases that bookend this, this paragraph that I just read and you, you need to reread that on your own flying through here. The, ver, the, the first part of verse 10, concerning this salvation, 